Lean on Utah seeks new or gently used metal crutches, canes, walkers, and non-motorized wheelchairs. If you don't need it anymore, dust it off and donate it November 13th. More details on the Connect page of krcl.org. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones, and first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who helped us out during Radiothon the last week or so. We really appreciated it, and another six months of KRCL coming up. Thanks to you. On the show tonight, we're going to spend some time with student journalists at Salt Lake Community College, The Globe, and Amplify Utah. We're going to do a bit of a roundtable on the stories they've been covering and what it's like to be a journalist uh, and one who's learning the craft here in 2021. First, though, we need to take care of the people's business. And as always, we go to our partners in transparency and keeping an eye on the people's house, the League of Women Voters of Utah and Catherine Weller joining me via Zoom. Hey there, Catherine. Hey, Laura. How are you? Doing, I guess, well, considering, you know, I was distracted with Radiothon. I missed the drop of the maps that the Utah Legislative Redistricting Committee put out Friday evening, public comment period ticking over the weekend. Earlier today, they met for their one and only public hearing, and then they're in special session tomorrow. How does the league feel about that? We're not especially impressed with that. Um, Dropping the maps on a Friday evening to uh, allow basically two days, two and a half days of comment for the public really doesn't meet what we would expect to see in terms of transparency and notice to the public. The league believes that a citizen's right to participate in governmental action is essential to this democracy. And they're not doing a lot to um, facilitate the citizen's right to interact with their maps especially given that we already interacted in great numbers with maps that were submitted by the Independent Redistricting Commission. And um, they totally disregarded those. These are, these are not those maps. These are different maps. So tomorrow, the Utah legislature has been called into special session at second of the year by Utah Governor Spencer Cox. And this is numero uno for me on the list of items they're going to be covering. We'll get into a couple of more just to let people know it's coming up. But this is an opportunity to call your lawmakers and weigh in. Absolutely. Call your lawmakers now. Call the people that uh, represent you in both the House and the Senate and let them know how you feel about these maps. The League of Women Voters believes that redistricting is best done by an independent redistricting commission and we would still like them to adopt those maps. Um, The legislature talks about how hard it is to draw maps and it is, but the work was done for them and it was done openly and transparently instead of behind closed doors. So please call and tell them what you think about their maps and that you'd like them to uh, consider and adopt good maps that the people wanted, that the people voted for. Again, uh, Salt Lake County in particular, the metro area split up among four congressional districts. And again, this this philosophy that Utah's congressional delegation does best when they have a bit of urban and rural in their district. And I think that's just... A weird way, and again, the old way of picking your voters. 
it it sounds an awful lot to me like a justification for picking your voters. Um, there are plenty of people in rural Utah who would like to have a representative who was exclusively focused on their needs, which are different from the needs of the Wasatch Front, just as there are many, many people on the Wasatch Front who believe they need somebody who's focused on their needs in the federal house. All right. So the special session starts tomorrow at 1030, folks. We'll put a link in the show notes to the Utah legislature so you can watch online, so you can contact your lawmakers and weigh in on redistricting as well as any of the other eight issues that are on the agenda for the special session. Special session, the governor sets the agenda, Catherine. In this case, yes. The ledge can call itself into special session, um, but this was called by the governor, so he sets the agenda. And one thing about redistricting, Laura, you and I just talked about the congressional redistricting, so the U.S. House. But the redistricting that's happening is also on the state level. So the legislators themselves have drawn districts for themselves in this session, as well as the state school board seats. There are going to be three sets of maps there and three types of redistricting to think about. They will also be considering um some provisions in the state code that relate to the schedule for redistricting local school board districts. That is from the governor's call. I don't know what that is yet, but wouldn't it be neat to know? <laughs> we all will know tomorrow when the legislature meets in special session. They're also going to try and clean up a bit of the mess that they made for themselves when it comes to bail reform, pre-trial relief pre-trial release and indigent defense. There was a bill passed a couple of sessions back, then they undid it, and now it's making a mess, as far as I can tell mm-hmm. from local reporting, Catherine. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it seems as though there is will in the legislature to clean up this mess and to engage in some genuine bail cash bail reform. And that would be a wonderful thing to see. The state flag task force apparently is on the agenda, as is the name change of Dixie State University. And there is growing pushback from Washington County against changing this name, which the university did a whole bunch of research and has proved that folks would like to see this changed for the future of attendance at that university. I want to know why the legislature is spending their time and my money weighing in on this issue. Agreed, but they have to approve it because it is a state university. Another item on the agenda is uh, modifying the unemployment insurance tax rate for future calendar years. Also, provisions related to COVID-19 in the workplace, and I'm guessing that has to do with no mandates. Yes, indeed, it probably does. But again, wouldn't it be neat to know for sure? (laughs) Considering amendments to the Interlocal Cooperation Act seems a little bit of paint drying there, but we'll see. And then lastly, uh, state lawmakers not happy with what the Biden administration wants to do with um, banking and financial transaction reporting requirements. And I'm kind of curious if the league has a position or is watching to see what this fight's about. At this point, we're watching to see what this fight is about. We need to see the language and what they're talking about before we can go back to our positions. Has to do with taxing and making sure everyone's paying their fair share, I suspect. But uh, uh, local governments, especially conservative, um, see it as a federal government overreach. So the debate will be fast and furious, I am sure. Catherine, the league, I'm guessing, will be having its volunteers paying attention to all of this. 
Absolutely. We will be following the special session this week. And then next week, there's interim session. It's like there's a bonus this month. And um, the November interim session, we will also be paying big attention to because that's where the big budgeting and the final committee bill actions will be made laying ground for the 2022 legislative session. Which starts in January, folks. Man, the fun never stops. Where can people catch up with the league and get involved, Catherine? LWVUtah.org. You can find us on Facebook, Insta, and Twitter, LWVUtah. Thanks, Catherine. Hey, thank you, Laura. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the League of Women Voters of Utah, as well as the Utah legislature and the call for a special session from Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Before we get to our conversation with student journalists from Salt Lake Community College and Amplify Utah, I wanted to check in with a group that was part of a press conference on the steps of the Capitol earlier today. As we said, special session starts tomorrow, interim next week, and as Catherine reminded us, budget priorities start to get locked in during November interim in advance of the general session in January. Well, my next guest was part of a group earlier today calling on lawmakers to invest in Utah's future, to not do tax cuts, because there are $5.2 billion in urgent unmet needs here in Utah. To find out more, let's pass the microphone. Hi, Matthew Weinstein here from Voices for Utah Children. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Yeah, we've been tracking the whole tax cutting phenomenon in Utah. We've been cutting taxes for decades average $100 million a year every year for 35 years, three and a half billion dollars now that we don't have to spend on schools and clean air and mental health and homeless services and so forth and so on. Tremendous unmet needs. And it's time that we raise our voices and say, whoa, let's uh, invest in Utah's future, not in tax cuts. So when there are tax cuts, it goes to a certain portion of the population. And when there are unmet needs, it's an entirely different portion of the population. That's exactly right. Yeah, let's explain this. What's going on? Well, so the way we we have different taxes in Utah, and the only one that's a progressive tax that actually matches Utah's income distribution is the income tax. Uh, 60% of it is paid by the top 20%, 80% by the top 40%. So the low-income Utahns, working-class Utahns, don't pay much of the income tax. Well, guess which tax they keep wanting to cut? the income tax, and then they shift the tax burden to the gas tax, the sales tax, the property tax. Those are all regressive taxes. Those are most of the taxes that most people pay. And that kind of tax, that kind of regressive tax shift is not good for Utah. It's not good, especially for lower income Utahns who are struggling to make ends meet. Tell me who this broad coalition was earlier today. Who was there? Yeah, we had about 20 groups there uh, representing a variety of constituencies. Uh, We had education advocates like the Utah Education Association, healthcare advocates like the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, affordable housing folks, the Utah Housing Coalition, uh, and the uh, Archdiocese. Uh, We had the Utah After School Network, the Disabilities Advocates, the Legislative Coalition for People with Disabilities, Community Action Partnership of Utah was honing in on the need for rural economic development. Comunidades Unidas talked about the need to not ignore undocumented Utahns, about 100,000 undocumented Utahns, including many children. The YWCA of Utah talked about the need to invest $85 million in sexual and domestic violence prevention 
services. Uh, we had clean air advocates like Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment. Uh, Steve Erickson was there talking about the need for better transit, Utahns Against Hunger, the Coalition of Religious Communities, the NAACP. We even had the Utah Rivers Council saying, don't waste this federal money on water boondoggles like the Lake Powell Pipeline and the Bear River Project. Use it to meet Utah's human needs. Okay, let's talk about those unmet human needs. $5.2 billion and lawmakers some say, would be swimming in money and should cut the state income tax rate and give us $600 million back. So what's the push-pull here? What do you want listeners to understand as we head into special session, interim, and then in January, general session? Yeah, I mean, the bad news is that we're kind of a, we've been a slow motion Kansas. You know, Kansas did this radical experiment under Governor Brown back in 2012. They cut taxes overnight by 15%, and it was just a disaster for the state economy, for infrastructure, for education, for all the foundations of prosperity. And turns out what we've done is even worse. We've cut taxes by about 18%, but we've done it more slowly. So we're like the frog in the pot of gradually heating water where we haven't noticed that our schools have you know, the biggest class sizes and the least experienced teachers and the highest teacher turnover. We don't have uh, school counselors or psychologists or social workers, even school nurses uh, at the level that we should if we really want to close gaps. And the gaps in Utah in education are bigger than nationally. Instead of an eight-point gap between white and Latino high school graduation rates, we have an 11-point gap. Uh, so we have some real catching up to do. We've been ignoring the growth of these gaps. Uh, we should have full day kindergarten. We should have pre-K available to everyone, after school programs in the area of health insurance. You know, we have uh, the fifth lowest rate of insured kids in the nation and the lowest for insuring Latino kids. In terms of mental health and substance abuse, we're ranked last in the country for those services. That's in turn making it impossible to do a good job of reforming our criminal justice system. Because if you're gonna you know, not lock people up and you want them to have productive lives, they need to get the substance abuse sort of and mental health services. And we haven't had the funding available, disabilities, economic development in rural areas, uh, transportation access. There, the list goes on and on, and we're gonna be posting it shortly uh, on our website. Uh, I mentioned air quality, uh, hunger, such as the food banks. Uh, th there's just a tremendous amount of needs, homeless services, uh, affordable housing. Uh, we were there actually for 40 minutes going through these, each organization speaking in turn. We could have been there for an hour or more. Uh, because it, we've just fallen so far behind as a state. Well, we will dig into these on Radioactive as the weeks tick by to the general session in January. But as you said, it was a broad coalition, and there is a website. We'll put it in the show notes where folks can check out this data and where we could spend this money instead of doing the tax break. And in fact, public opinion does not support the tax cuts, right? That's right. There was a poll just came out last week from the Deseret News and the Hinckley Institute only 27% of Utahns want a tax cut. And the overwhelming majority say invest in Utah's future. And that really shows the disconnect where, you know, the public is with us on this, 
But is that breaking through to policymakers, to the legislature? You know, that's another story. And so we're trying to mobilize people to get that message out. So what's the website where folks can catch up on all of this? Uh, We're going to be posting it at utahchildren.org. Utahchildren.org is our website, and uh, you'll be able to find it all there. Matt, thank you so much for giving us some time. Thanks a lot, Laura. I really appreciate it. Take care. And now to kick off the rest of the show with student journalists, we have from Salt Lake Community College and Amplify Utah, Marcy Young-Cancio. So Marcy, why don't you lay the groundwork for us again on what this project is between journalism classes at Salt Lake Community College, the Tribune, and your nonprofit, Amplify Utah. Sure. So Amplify Utah started, we launched it in the summer of 2020, and really starting in January of this year, we're able to really jump into some of the work. And the journalism students at SLIC have been doing some truly incredible work writing stories of representation, stories that we're often not seeing in local media. Um, and there you're going to hear from some of them today. But our goal at Amplify Utah is to amplify those voices that you're often not seeing in local news. So, I mean, there's kind of this dated uh, idea that journalists give voice to the voiceless and kind of silly, everybody has a voice. And what we're trying to do is to tap into those stories and help those voices amplify, to give them more of a platform for those stories to be shared more broadly, to get a better idea of your community and the people that you are existing and living with every day, to build understanding of the world around you, kind of one voice and one story at a time. It's what we do here on Radioactive as well. One of the things that I like to talk about in this conversation, though, Marcy, is how that gets done, because there's so much um, conversation about how the news gets made these days. Right. And really, it's about making sure there are more folks at the table to then go out and share those stories, uh, not yeah, just one I mean, type of person. Right. Yeah. So the the actual process is... Um, it's collaborative. I mean, it, we're not trying to build a newsroom. We're not trying to start anything from scratch. We're trying to tap into these really great resources that are already available in our community. And Salt Lake Community College is an incredible resource. I mean, you're going to hear from all of these students now, and they, they are truly incredible and doing great work. But Salt Lake Community College is the most diverse institute of higher education in the state, and diverse from every aspect of what diversity means, not just um, racial diversity or socioeconomic diversity, but you have, you know, 17-year-olds who are doing concurrent enrollment in high school to, you know, I've had 70-year-olds in my classes, um, you know, I've had veterans. You, it's, it's a very, very broad, diverse group. So tapping into those stories, students in my classes and in other classes go and find stories that they've heard about, things that have been inspired by their lived experiences um, or things that they've just simply noticed. And they will go out into the world and work with those sources very closely to then write stories, share stories, create videos as part of my class that we can then share via Amplify Utah with the TRIB and other media. Including Radioactive, we've got uh, four or five folks to share their work with us, including we're going to take the audio from a video tour from one of your your students tonight, but tell me about working with the students over the last two years of this pandemic, because, you know, that adds a layer or level of difficulty to gathering and sharing the story, but also teaching that next generation. Well, I mean, honestly, I would like to hear from the students a little bit more on the gathering process, because I haven't been out in the field doing the reporting during the pandemic, but 
I mean, everything is a little bit harder in the pandemic. We're all getting tired. We're all getting a little burnt out. So I think it's really amazing that these students are passionate about the work that they're doing and are kind of overcoming kind of this gnarly year and a half going on two years. Well, the community college, as I've read in news coverage, has been one of the institutions that's been affected in terms of enrollment. And did you see any dip in terms of interest in your classes over the course of the pandemic? Not interest, but just maybe availability to attend. Um, not a ton. I mean, we have kept numbers pretty consistent in the courses in the um, journalism and digital media department. Um, although, I mean, I have noticed that students just like me, we're all kind of tired and a little burnt out. And it is a little bit harder. I can't speak for everyone here, but it is a little bit harder to move through all of it. And so the fact that students are really committed to the work that they're doing, not just in my courses, but in everything is, you know, says something, but it's, I mean, it's tough. I definitely have noticed a difference in some students' work, but you know, that's, that's true across the board. Yeah, it really is. Students are no different than the rest of us. <laughs> so stick around. Students are people, too. They are people, too. So stick around. We're going to get to the students and the stories that they have gathered and published in the Salt Lake Tribune and share them with you here tonight on Radioactive. But Amplify Utah also collects and collates those stories. What's the website and what can people find there? Sure. The website is AmplifyUtah.org. You can also follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Amplify Utah. And this is a project that even though we started with the Salt Lake Tribune and publishing that work, we're expanding that out to working with other local news media too. Westview Media, which club covers Glendale and Rose Park, which I know that you guys do tons of work with, um, just published two of the stories in their most recent issue. Uh, and so it's this is meant to like grow and to amplify these stories as broadly as possible. So we're excited about all of the progress and um, and getting more students published. I mean, it's a, a kind of double whammy of the great work, but also giving these great students an opportunity to be published professionally. And Amplify Utah is a nonprofit. How can people support you? They can support us by going to AmplifyUtah.org, signing up for our newsletter. And shortly, within the next week or so, we hope to have a donation form up on the website. And uh, you can expect to maybe hear some rumblings from us on Giving Tuesday at the end of the month. Excellent. Marcy, thanks so much. When we come back, we're going to get to your students. Awesome. Thank you, Laura. Lean on Utah seeks new or gently used metal crutches, canes, walkers, and non-motorized wheelchairs. If you don't need it anymore, dust it off and donate it November 13th. More details on the Connect page of krcl.org. You're listening to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Tonight, we're talking with student journalists with Salt Lake Community College and The Globe. Their work is part of the Amplify Utah Project, which collaborates with the Salt Lake Tribune to publish diverse stories in the Tribune, as well as other media outlets, as we talked about earlier with Marcy Young-Cancio. But tonight, we're going to hear from the journalists themselves to share their stories. We're going to start with someone who's written about indigenous mascots in Utah and beyond. Let's pass the microphone and find out more. My name is Valine Parachovich. I'm a student here at SLIC at Salt Lake Community College, and I'm a radio journalism student. Um, and the article that I wrote is uh, where indigenous mascots have changed in Utah and beyond. 
Valine, thanks for coming on Radioactive with us, and uh, you're a radio journalist, so hey, welcome, even more so. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What interested you in this story? I always kind of like to pull back the curtain so folks can understand how stories kind of get a start. Was there a brainstorming session? Did you come across something that piqued your interest, Valine? Yes, absolutely. I was kind of uh, rolling the ball back and forth between speaking about veterans because we are a military family and speaking about um, Native American issues and challenges. Being an Indigenous person myself, I'm of the Clinket, Aleut, and Athabascan nations in Alaska. So after going back and forth, I just really felt pulled towards speaking about Native American issues and kind of, um, I guess, whittling it down to speaking about mascots because it's not often that I hear mascots spoken about from the actual Native perspective. And what I mean by that is if you're interviewing someone, you have the inside of what types of questions to ask, such as how does it affect communities um, and kind of um, having that really important conversation of where it's so, I guess you say so systemic into American culture that Native Americans, it's honoring them. And then being an Indigenous person, I kind of pushed the conversation a little further of, well, how exactly is that honoring or not honoring with Dr. White Bear and with uh, Professor James Singer? Let's talk a bit about that. As you write in the beginning of your story, Native mascots are gradually being removed across the United States. I think p- people are familiar with Washington formally uh, the Redskins, and you note in the coverage of this that there was a, a stark line, no, all caps, we will never remove it. But guess what? They've removed it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it, it kind of shows that um, in writing this article, I felt like it was super important to speak on the momentum that other organized activists and scholars and groups received from the Black Lives Matter movement. And I really, really wanted to highlight that in essence, almost had, but kind of like a a letter of gratitude because um, because of that and what Dr. Whiteberry even brought up, which I thought was really important, that intersecting with the pandemic and quarantine really had America slow down and the world for that matter, got people's attention And then once that did, um, sponsors of these major um, sports, sports, sporting franchises um, realized that their funding was getting pulled. And it's sad to say that the reason why they changed was due to bottom line. But nonetheless, it was due to the hard work of activism that's been in place for years, where since it's like organized organizations and organizing met um, opportunity. You mentioned professor at community college, James Singer, co-founder of the Utah League of Native American Voters. You talked to him in your article about the effects of Native Americans as mascots on Native Americans. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so um, he brought up some really important points um, due to his own activism work, besides being a a professor here at SLIC. He um, spoke about how if you remove the mascots, no one is hurt. No one, it doesn't, it's not derogatory towards anybody. If you keep it, it is. And so it kind of seems like a no brainer, but you have to ask the question, why are they keeping them? And and sadly enough, it's related to merchandising. Since the story has been printed, the the, 
um, Cleveland Guardians, formerly known as the Cleveland Indians, has since continued to sell their merchandising with Chief Yahoo or Wahoo. And it's sad because the reason why they are is because they can sell and they can make money. And so with him talking about that and how it affects uh, students, um, or I'm sorry, just in general people, uh, Dr. White Bear also spoke about how um, there is no responsibility held towards rival teams when you go to these sporting events. So let's say the Utes play against another Pac-12 team. There is no um, responsibility or any type of education that's happening that's telling them that it's actually not okay to mock the Utes and to mock Native American heritage, you know, and they say it's all in the fun and uh, lightheartedness of sports and rivalry, but it's actually think about what that feels like for a Native American student or a Native American member to actually see that it's hostile, it hurts, it's derogatory, and it affects youth as well. Are you considering a follow-up at all? Because I'm thinking of baseball, which I don't often. I'm not a big baseball fan, but the World Series, this is part of the coverage with the Atlanta Braves and the former president attending and engaging in what uh, the tomahawk chops that the Braves fans do. Yes, I mean, that's if I had the opportunity, I definitely would love to follow up um, because I have been slowly gathering and seeing how these different teams over the last couple months, that's how fast this is changing. Um, What has been years and years of work all of a sudden from 2020 to 2021 has accelerated. And it is, it's, we have our highs and we have our lows. And I think that would be something worth following up on to show um, how far we've come and still yet how far we have to go. One of the things I really liked about your story was, as you talk about momentum, you also note that back in 1972, Stanford dropped its mascot after some direct grassroots activism. Yes, and I I feel like that in the 70s for Native Americans, Alaska Natives, Indigenous people of the Americas, that was a huge decade. That was with the AIM movement, the American Indian movement, and then also people starting to stand up in their universities and say, wait, this isn't okay. And being told it's, it's honoring, though. We're honoring and remembering the Native people. But really, if people are asking you to take it down and it doesn't feel honoring, you should do so and find other ways to honor Um, and to seeing the students work at Stanford and faculty and staff and how they organized and came together and made that change definitely was a a keystone for other movements to happen. Valine, I always like to wrap an interview with a song. You got a suggestion? It's funny because uh, Thanksgiving's coming up and we were just speaking about this in my radio class, talking about niching and for Thanksgiving. And it's it's a funny song that makes me laugh. It's called Burn Your Village to the Ground. It's by uh, a tribe called Red. Um, but it's it's an interesting take on what Thanksgiving is to natives. Well, I think I might have to collaborate with you for a Thanksgiving special based on this <laughs> final part of the conversation. You up for that? Absolutely. All Thank right. you. <laughs> We've taken the land which is rightfully ours. You're listening to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Our next student journalist is writing about mental health on campus. Let's pass the microphone and find out more. Hi, I'm Amy Schaefer, um, and I recently... Um, had a story published about students navigating mental health obstacles. How some college students are finding mental health support as they return to school. You know, there's been a lot about health care during the pandemic, and I see a lot being written about much younger students. We're talking elementary, uh, K through 12, and what the pandemic is 
doing to them and how it might affect them for you know generations to come. But in returning to campus, I am curious, what uh, have you learned from your peers? What resources were made available? So I learned that people are not really trying to access uh, mental health right now, um, mental health resources. They have so much on their plate. And as Mercy kind of spoke to earlier, everybody's burnt out and um, everyone's tired. Um, but the other thing is the disconnect of what resources are available and getting students to realize that there's resources available for them. Describe the the state of this issue. You have some data from inside higher ed in your story. Yeah, so it's what's interesting is um, that particular survey um, talked about how 65% of college participants in that survey, they rated their mental health as fair to poor, but only 15% of them were actually seeking services provided by the school. So I think um, a lot of that is people don't realize that the services are available or they're really concerned about what that cost is going to be. Yeah, I think the prevailing narrative in popular culture is that getting help costs a lot, especially if you have limited income and lack access to health care. So there is support on campus. Tell us about the Center for Health and Counseling at Salt Lake Community College and what they're doing to reach out. So the Center for um, Health and Counseling, um, they actually, during the first year of the pandemic, they were having services for free. They were letting um, students access um, licensed therapists. And what that meant is they could have um, an hour with them. Um, I was doing it myself. I took advantage of that. Um, And I was doing it weekly. And it really helped. And it was via Zoom. And um, I just thought, wow, this is really digging me out of some some darkness. So I thought, you know, it was a resource that was worth sharing. Well, you're obviously your own case study in this story. So what were you finding you're experiencing? Just that hyper isolation? I mean, was Zoom that much um, of a relief valve when meeting with a counselor? Yeah, it was the hyper isolation. Um, it was also... Um, I was dealing with the loss of a very close friend and trying to deal with that grief without having that kind of, we're used to these rituals, these ceremonies, these, a funeral to say goodbye. And I didn't, I didn't get that. And um, so I had to kind of readjust my relationship with that person to kind of reconcile that grief. You know, so many of our rituals from daily life to these milestones to grief have been upended during this pandemic. So I'm really grateful that you decided to tackle this. How was it uh, in in executing this story? Because you're, you're, you're more than part of it when you're experiencing it yourself. Right. Well, the thing that I noticed about this is it's, even if our experience isn't shared, it's kind of like the grief is shared, the loneliness is shared, So I think that this is a very um, universal issue. And I think, um, and one of the people that I interviewed, his name was Eric, former student. He said, just knowing that the center was there got my foot into the door. And so I was hoping that if I could let people know that the center was there, 
it would get their foot into yeah. the door. We'll put the resources in tonight's show notes, folks. So make sure you check it out, if you're, especially if you're a student in the Salt Lake Community College uh, network of campuses. Um, I know that here at KRCL, over the course of the pandemic, we frequently get messages saying, thank you for being there when I turn you on. And so I'm curious, did you follow the comments on your story to see how people are reacting to it? I don't recommend reading comments on your stories, first <laughs> of all, but I'm guessing there was some interesting reaction. Yeah, it's the thing. Um, we didn't get a ton like on our Globe website, but once Amplify started kind of doing their social, um, we did get some good comments about, you know, I didn't know that resource was there or, you know, I've been feeling that way too. So I think that's what I think is so important is to make sure you get that human element, that connection is so vital because then it will kind of inspire somebody else to make the same move. Well, how did you find that human connection as the reporter on this story? I mean, you have your own story, but to find out more broadly what's going on, you have to walk up to strangers and ask, or you have to work with the counseling center to maybe put out a notice and see if people will contact you proactively. Was it difficult to get people, given what you found is still a stigma when it comes to mental health? So it wasn't too difficult for me just because... um, I was actually recommended to the um, center by a good friend Um, who said, you know, you're, you're struggling. I'm doing this. So, so I got her story. Um, Her name is Tamara Rachel. Um, And then I had known a few other people that had talked about and praised the center. So I just kind of asked them to detail what about that experience helped them get through what their obstacle was. Share, share a little bit about your friend who's in the story, Tamara Rachel, and her her own struggle. And she's, I believe, a nurse, as I recall. Yeah, she's a nursing student. She had been going through a lot of trauma, um, past trauma from an abusive relationship that had been coming up. She was having a lot of issues with the isolation as well. Um, and she even told me, you know, it's like, When I didn't have those resources, it would just kind of throw me into a really dark place. And knowing that I could afford um, a session with a licensed therapist was really vital to me. And she's still seeing that particular therapist. Um, And she's like, I couldn't afford it outside of this. And right now they're only charging $15. You don't need insurance. As long as you're a student, that service is accessible to you. And you can apply for a financial hardship waiver as well. That's correct. All right. We'll be sure to put those resources in tonight's show notes for folks. But uh, I'm curious if you have a story that you might want to, or a song rather, you might want to send out into the ether for folks who are struggling with this issue or anything you'd like to comment on through music, Amy. Um, You know, a song that I really like to kind of like, I call it kind of my audio caffeine to kind of get me out there is um, Elvis Costello's Pump It Up. That's kind of my anthem to kind of get my day going. Oh, man. We are sisters from another mother, I'm telling you. <laughs> I love that song, too. So let's share it, okay? All right. Amy Schaefer, thanks so much. Great. Thank you so much. This is Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. And if you just tuned in, we're spending the hour with journalists from Salt Lake Community College, The Globe, and their work with Amplify Utah and the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, all the stories tonight published 
in partnership between these groups. And now we're passing the microphone to them to find out more about their stories that they're sharing, but also their own. Let's pass the microphone and find out about a journalist who's covering folks who take a long journey to get to the community college. Hi, my name is Andrea Barbosa, and uh, my story um, was about one student that journeyed from Colombia to Salt Lake City. So we're talking about Maria Pastrana Lopez, who came to Utah to go to college. How did you come across this story, and why were you interested in writing about it? So when I um, was told that I needed to write an article, um, I wanted to feel related to the to the story. And so I think that's why I chose Maria's, um, because in a way, I also came to the U.S. uh, with a dream. And um, in this case, she came from Colombia. I came from Venezuela. And so it was like, I thought it was something similar. And I really liked all she did to come to the U.S. And so that's why I wanted to share her story. We'll share a bit of Maria's story, and I'm guessing you're finding that it's not that uncommon among the student population at the community college. Yes. So um, Maria, when she, so she's from Colombia, and over there, it was really hard to be able to, um, I guess, accomplish higher education because it's a matter of cost and like social class. It's not that easy to be able to attend to school. And so in her case, she had the opportunity of having a family member here in the U.S. that offered her to be um, her sponsor. And I think that was great because otherwise she wouldn't have been able to um, attend a school and also um, be working on the field, which is what she's doing right now. And so I think that was really good and like really brave of her because she had to leave all of her family there. And she came to the U.S. and like, I guess she was able to find what she wanted to do and fulfill her dream. Another layer of difficulty for many Salt Lake Community College students and the same for Maria is that they're having to navigate visas and this paperwork and different countries, educational standards and learn a language. Yeah, (laughs) It's it's hard. It's something that when I talked to Maria, she said that at the beginning, she was very nervous and scared because um, when you come as an international student, which is her case, you have to keep up with the visa. And when she came here, she didn't know that much English. She like knew some of it, but not like fluent. And so having to keep up with her grades and also her visa and having um, English as a second language, it was something that it was hard, but that she made it through. She was also able to secure a job with Salt Lake Community College's International Student Services, and your story serves to share that program as well. What does the International Student Services program offer? Yes, so with the international students, um, you're able to, so if you're in, so you don't have to be an international student to be able to work there. Um, but for Maria, it was since she was an international student, she was able to um, get to know more people and also have um, um, some coworkers that will help her through her journey. And so, having that um, 
opportunity through the International Students Department really helped her. She had family here, but being on campus and navigating that college experience, it sounds like it became quite a lifeline for her. And I'm just curious if that parallels any of your story. Yes. So with so in in my in my case, um, I did have family here, but when I when I came to the U.S., I was feeling a little bit lost because um, I didn't know anybody. I was also learning a new language. Um, and so it was it was a little bit challenging, um, but it was nice that I had people um, at high school. And then when I started at Solid Community College, that helped me, you know, and that was able to um, guide me through it. So what is your plan with journalism or more higher education? Um, so I'm still figuring out <laughs> what I want to do. I'm going into media studies and journalism. I'm actually graduating um, this semester, and I want to start working in the field. I'm not sure um, if I want to continue um, going to school, but I definitely want to keep um, working in the field. And so, yes. Well, congratulations on your upcoming graduation and love to help you any way we can. OK, thank you. Thank you for having me. Do you have a song you'd like to go out with? I don't think it's related to this. That's okay. <laughs> but I, I really like, I really like um, "Roller Coaster" by the Jonas Brothers. Why do you like that song so much? Um, I don't know. I feel like um, it's like it. So it reminds me something. So what I had to go through through my life, and so it's like a roller coaster. Um, you have like emotions and so many things, and so I really like it. Well, best of luck to you, and hopefully the roller coaster smooths out into the lazy river for you. <laughs> Thank you. This is Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. We've been talking with student journalists from Salt Lake Community College this evening and sharing their work, which has been co-published by the Salt Lake Tribune in partnership with Amplify Utah. Amplify Utah, a nonprofit based out of Marcia Young Cancio's office at Salt Lake Community College. And tonight we're going to close with something a little different, uh, a video conversation that our next journalist uh, recorded over the course of the summer. Let's pass the microphone and find out more. How's it going? My name is James So, and the title of my story today is Free Haircuts Give Renewing Feeling to People Experiencing Homelessness in Salt Lake City. So, James, what prompted this video log that you went out and shot? And who is your featured barber? So the featured barber is one of my best friends. His name is Cameron Dean, just a you know friend since middle school. And it actually started off uh, very simple. It started off as a TikTok, actually. And he came to me and we we're like, hey, we should go help someone cut their hair and, and film it. And the goal was to help one person. But I believe now it's ended up helping uh, millions of people. We're going to play it here in a minute so folks can hear this experience. But what were you expecting when you went out and what did you find? Like I said, we weren't expecting much. We just wanted to go help one person. We just wanted to go cut uh, one person's hair, film a TikTok and try to get exposure. And pretty much after we posted that TikTok, it blew up. and It got millions of views. So it started to become a series on TikTok and we posted probably five or six of those videos and they all get hundreds of thousands of views. People really love it. They 
are getting exposed to what's really happening to the people experience, experiencing homelessness. So it's it's been really amazing. Let's play some of your video report that was published recently in the Salt Lake Tribune. This is not just cutting hair. This is not just making people look good. This is an act of service to help people change their lives for the better. I remember a few years ago when I was first starting out in the industry, my buddy had asked me if I wanted to go out and give back haircuts to people experiencing homelessness. I told him, yeah, we went out. There was two to three barbers. We did about 10 to 15 cuts each. The feeling it gave me was next to nothing. I can't really describe it. And the feeling it gave these people was so overwhelming for so many of them. And I wanted to go out and do it again. We are in a parking garage right now. We're gonna walk around the city and see if we can find anyone and cut their hair. What's going on, guys? Not much, not much. How's the day? It's going. I yeah? you guys. I know. What are you guys up to? Doing more cuts? Yeah, you ready? Remember the last time your hair was getting too long and you got a haircut and you had that renewing feeling? Some of these people haven't gotten a haircut in years. So it definitely has to have an impact. So we saw this guy. We're gonna go up to him and ask him if uh, we can cut his hair. What's up, man? How's it going? What's going on, brother? How's it going, man? I'm going out. I give haircuts back to uh, people. I was wondering if you want a haircut today. A haircut? Yeah, man. I was wondering if I could give you a haircut. Yes, please. Yes, please. You're down for it? Let's do it. That'd be great. Let's do it. Heck yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. You down? Yeah. Let's do it. I'm all done. What's your name, brother? Warren. Warren? Yeah. Okay, I'm Cam. Alex. Alex? I'm Cam. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. My name is Michael, but I go by Wolf. When was the last time you had a haircut? A while ago. How long, roughly? Like almost a year ago. Oh man. Three months ago. Three months ago? Yeah, my hair was really long. Right. And so this girl's like, I got some scissors to show you what my hair I do. It's been a while. I tried to do it myself, but I don't know if it worked out too good. How's this haircut making you feel? Uh, it's actually making me feel a little more human. <laughs> it's a good feeling, you know. It's like when you uh, when you take a shower or you put on new clothes or something. You know, you feel better about yourself. You know, um, people always look at you different when you have a haircut as well. And then it makes my, myself feel better about myself as well. You know, so I like to look as decent as I can out here. I don't have much to go off of, but right. what I have is what God gave me. So I hope it works. <laughs> right. Yeah, dude. I feel a lot more cooler. Like I can feel the breeze. It feels great. It's redefining you. Redefining you? Yeah. There you go. When they see us, when we're sitting around hanging out, and they just they walk by us and they look at us, and I always wonder, what is that couple thinking right now? Right. Right. Are they against us? I feel like us homeless are more of a like aggressive like I don't know if species would be a good term, but a community. That's why we're rejected so much is because we have a different way of handling our situation. Yes, there are some scary people out here. Yes, there are some bad people, but you know what? Half the people out here are just normal people when bad situations. They just they just got stuck. Are you liking the haircut, dude? I do. I, it feels a lot better. It's gonna, help me, uh, it's gonna help produce the sweat. Help produce the sweat? Yeah. Okay. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. All right, you ready? Yep. Thank you. What do you think about it? It looks good, thank you. You yeah. liking it? Yeah. yeah, check yourself out, man. Thank you. Yeah, it looks better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That looks good. 
Oh yeah, I like it, bro. Thank you so much. Of course. <laughs> oh yeah, that is 100% better. Thank you so much. Oh my God. So us younger generation, we are the future because when I was growing up, everybody was rude, everybody was stuck up, and they just they didn't they didn't have any cares. What I see that the future is going to be is people that have a heart and have a soul and help people out to make them survive. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for the haircut, brother. Of course. Hey, we always appreciate it. Thank you. Good stuff. That is so cool, dude. Of course. I'll give you the COVID thing, though. Uh. You're good. And I'll give you the COVID one, too. <laughs> That's James So and his video story. Free haircuts give renewing feeling to people experiencing homelessness in Salt Lake City. So, James, you said you've gone on and done a couple more of these through TikTok. Um, how do you feel now after having done these a couple of times about folks that you would not probably otherwise have had the chance to meet it's been life-changing for my friend and i because i've never had personal interactions with people experiencing homelessness before so when we're going down to main street going downtown uh finding people under the freeways you you get to talk to them when you you give them these haircuts and you learn that they're they're real humans they're people like us who have needs who have just been caught in in a bad situation and these are people who have goals, they have aspirations, they they have feelings. And that's something that I learned from this experience. Um, on the flip side, giving them these haircuts, it's changed their lives as well. Um, some of these people haven't had haircuts in years. And in the video, you saw that, you know, some people had some pretty gnarly hair. The transformation's insane. You can't really tell, you know, who they are after the haircut. And it's just been, it's been life-changing for both ends because, you just learn so much. You, you really connect on a personal level and you see that these people who are not, you know, they're living under the freeways. They're asking people for money. They're, they're people with, with goals and feelings and just, you know, want to be loved. We'll embed the video in tonight's show notes and uh, provide a link to the TikTok as well, folks, for you to check it out. But James, I'm kind of curious what it's done in terms of how you think about media, how you think about the power of social media and video and the ability to help people share their own stories? Has it given you an idea of where you might want to take this in the future? Yeah, definitely. I, like I said, the, the TikToks, um, there's been millions of views. And on Amplify Utah's YouTube video, there's over a thousand views on that one. And I'm sure there's a lot of coverage um, just you know from the article itself. But I think it's educating people. Um, a lot of the comments that I read from the TikTok, they're saying, wow, like this is amazing. Or wow, like I didn't know that people experiencing homelessness, like they're they're this nice, or I didn't know that they're going through this, th this situation. So a lot of these people who are watching these videos, yet they might not be going out giving haircuts to these people, but they're, they know what the problem is. And then with that, it might motivate them to, you know, maybe give them food or give them some clothing or give them a blanket. And so a lot of these people, like the feedback we've, we've gotten is, is just uh, really positive. And I'm, I'm confident that these people are uh, impacted and will take action as well. It's an interesting way to give back, don't you think, James? I mean, um, you've got your friend who's the barber, you're the storyteller, the videographer, and it's a solutions journalism approach to issues in our community, James. Yeah, definitely. I can't cut hair. And there might be problems if I try, but I love to, to film it all and just make it come to life and share it with everyone. Well, where are you taking journalism next? I definitely want to use my um, film skills and just share stories. 
I'm not sure what that is. I I'm pretty uh, open to whatever it is. So I'm, I just love filming and I love sharing stories. So if we go out with a song from James So's playlist, what do we got? Can I do um, How Deep Is Your Love by Bee Gees? I think we all have to have more love in our hearts, especially just with our times right now. And with my story, I think if we kind of look at everyone with love and help meet each other's needs, I think the world could be a better place. And so I think that song could, I don't know, I just like that song too. <laughs> well, you just melted this Grinch's heart. So let's do the Bee Gees for you, James, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much. And that's Radioactive, plugging you into your community and a playlist to match, courtesy of our guests this evening, Salt Lake Community College journalists James So, Andrea Barboza, Amy Schaefer, and Valine Paratrovich, plus their professor of journalism and founder of Amplify Utah, Marcy Young-Cancio. Check tonight's show notes for links to all the stories that we just talked about, as well as from earlier in the show, Voices for Utah Children, and the League of Women Voters of Utah. And once more, thank you for all the love you showed KRCL during Radiothon. We are so grateful for your support of Listeners Community Radio of Utah. Democracy Now! is coming up next, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm, Michelle's Night Train at 10.30, and then John Florence back at 6 a.m. to start your brand new day. I'm Laura Jones, executive producer and host of Radioactive. Questions, comments, suggestions? You can email me, radioactive at krcl.org. Have a great night, and thanks for plugging into your community with KRCL. Have a great night.